0: She still walks the halls in every hospital. Every hospital in the country. Every hospital in the world, for that matter. Her lamp dim enough so as not to wake the sick that have finally drifted off into slumber, but bright enough to tend to those still in need. She may not be there in person anymore, but now she is embodied by so many that have come after her. Her spirit has lived on even after her death 121 years ago. Every one of you have met her or will meet her at some point in your life. She is there holding your hand and keeping you safe as you wait in that black hole of pain for your baby to be born. She is there offering words of comfort and administering medications to alleviate your fear and symptoms as you gasp for breath sick with pneumonia. She is there turning your feeble old body that no longer works anymore trying to give you a comfortable position to rest in. She is there behind the scenes working tirelessly trying to keep you alive or in some circumstances die with dignity. She is there losing sleep over you. She is there standing up for you. Yes, this kind, strong, determined spirit has been with you through every illness, surgery, delivery, and death. I am talking about the spirit of Florence Nightingale, who is still alive and strong in so many nurses that give a little of themselves every day to care for the sick and dying. Welcome back to StoryStone. Yes, of course, this nurse has to dedicate an episode to nurses. Here's my goal. To help you understand what nurses really do. To understand the plight of the nurse. Even growing up with a nurse in my house, I still didn't get it. I never understood the responsibility that was placed on the nurse. When I came home from college one day and told my mom I was going to become a nurse, she begged me not to do it. I was appalled. Why wouldn't I want to be a nurse? I had wanted to help people. I was really good at taking care of people. I had already worked for a summer in my Uncle Mark's office. The community college I was going to offered a two-year program that would only cost, wait for it, $4,000, and that included books, and it had a 98% passing rate for the nursing boards. I just needed one year of prerequisites. My plan was in place, and no matter what my mother said, I would not be swayed. My grandpa was a doctor and my grandma was a nurse. Three of their four boys became physicians, two of which married nurses, and then my dad, the baby, became a radiology tech, and my mom became, you guessed it, a nurse. (laughs) So I grew up listening to stories around the supper table that sounded kind of like the show Real Life in the ER. My dad took a lot of call to make extra money, and on the weekends or evenings, my sister and I would finagle him into letting us go into a call with him. It was a blast. Nursing had to be the same, right? (laughs) My dad worked in a small community hospital, the hospital where I was born in, so everyone there knew us. My dad is tall and walks very fast, and when he got called in to do x-rays or a CAT scan, it would be for an emergent situation, so his walk would become even faster. My sister and I made it a game. We'd walk as fast as we could down those long hospital corridors next to Dad. We'd say, walk, walk, run, run. We giggled as we hustled our little butts to keep up with him, and we'd say quietly to ourselves, walk, walk, run, run, walk, walk, run, run, to keep pace with him. That meant two normal quick walking steps, then two fast run steps to keep up with his long-legged gait. If he had an x-ray to take, he'd drop us off at the radiology department, go get the patient, and snap the x-rays. Now, this was when they still had actual x-ray films developed in an actual dark room. I know, it's exciting, right? So we'd be sitting there in the chairs in the little waiting area of the radiology department, just itching for him to finish the x ray since the best part was coming the developing. Yeah, we got to develop the x ray films. My dad would take the patient back upstairs or to the ER while my sister and I would head into the dark room. The smell of chemicals would assault us, and we'd stumble with our hands out to find our bearings as our eyes adjusted to the dim red lights. Working in near dark, we'd pull the big Big, flat, heavy x-ray cassette from the cabinet in the wall and run it through the machine the way Dad had shown us. Then wait impatiently dancing from foot to foot for the films to feed into the bin. Then two proud little girls would come walking from the dark room with the films in hand, proudly handing them over to be sheathed in their big manila folders and taken to the doctor. Every once in a while, Dad would be waiting there with his hand in the x-ray cassette cupboard, so when we were on the other side in the dark room, his hand would grab our little one and he'd yell "rah!" We'd scream and giggle. On other occasions, when he was called in, it would be a CAT scan. This obviously was well before HIPAA rules came into play. We'd sit and watch Dad scan the patient. Sometimes they'd be very dramatic intoxicated ones that had gotten into car accidents or fallen. Or sometimes they would be ventilated on breathing machines. Oh, those were the exciting ones. We loved the disobedient drunk ones the best. (laughs) Dad would take a big strip of wide tape and then tell them very sweetly, now you aren't holding still, are you? This is gonna go around your head to remind you to lay still. It will be just for a few minutes. Then zip, the big tape would go around the forehead and hold them tightly to the table. Buzz through that CT at lightning speed or as fast as it went back in those days. And then he'd take the tape off before they really knew what happened. Then, yet again, to save time, Dad would go off with the patient leaving my sister and I to make the copies of the scan he just took. So, someday, if anyone needed to review that CAT scan, it was up to us two little silly twins to make sure there was a copy on these giant wheels of what looked like cassette tape ribbons. Really, I remember running the copies, watching those big, huge wheels turn, thinking it looked just like a big, giant's tape recorder. All of this is what led me to think I wanted to be a doctor. Then, I spent the summer working for my Uncle Mark, and I realized very quickly that I didn't want to do what he did every day. I didn't want the stress or the hours, so by the time I was 17, I had decided to be a nurse. I wanted to help people. I have that naturally nurturing personality, so that's the day I came home and I told my mom and she said, no, don't do it. But I didn't listen to her. I did it. Then the entire first year out of nursing school, I would come home thinking to myself, I should have listened to my mother. Nursing is hard, stressful, physically demanding, and most of all, emotionally exhausting. There are good times, times that make you feel like you've really made a difference, times that you connect on a deep level with a patient, times that you think, wow, I am the reason they didn't die. I am the reason they are going to walk out of the hospital one day. But those times sometimes can be far and few in between. So this is what I try to do every day I work to make it rewarding. I try to connect with at least one patient a day. Connect with them through conversation and a soft touch. So this leads up to my interview with an amazing nurse, Sue Ellen Demumbrium watts I had the pleasure of FaceTiming with Sue Ellen one Saturday morning. She's a good storyteller, so you can only imagine how long the two of us storytellers chatted that morning. Sue Ellen is well into retirement from a long and amazing career as a nurse. Plus, it's really fun to find out that we both graduated from nursing school at the age of only 20. So, it's with great pleasure I get to tell you a little about how her career started. Such a difference her nursing school was compared to what nursing school is like now. After interviewing her, I now understand why my instructors were the way they were. They would have been taught under the same kind of tutelage as she, and I really can't complain. I came away from nursing school able to work night shift after only one week of orientation and take on 12 patients per night. Yes, you heard that correctly, 12 patients per one nurse and a new grad at that. This was before computer charting, before IV pumps, yeah, before IV pumps, and before Google, where we looked up things when we had questions. Those old school nursing instructors were operating under the same way Sue Ellen had been taught. But wait until you hear what nursing school was like back in the early 60s. I now have less to complain about my nursing school, even though it was what led me to start grinding my teeth and walking in my sleep. Sue Allen graduated from high school at the young age of only 17, yeah, just like me. She describes herself as not the best student. Not stupid, mind you, she just enjoyed the social aspect of school and having fun more than the academic part of school. So when she graduated, she had no clue what to do. She knew she didn't want to be a secretary or a teacher, and in those days, there weren't that many options. Her mother had always wanted to be a nurse, and since her aunt had graduated from Nashville General Hospital's nursing school, she decided, sure, I'll give it a try. She applied to both Baptist Hospital and Nashville General and was accepted into Nashville General. Her family paid the whopping $130 for the tuition, and then off she went. In those days, you had to live in the dormitory at the hospital. The hospital provided room, food, and laundry service in exchange for free labor. (laughs) The only stipulation was that you couldn't be married. Sue Ellen was single at the time, so that was definitely not a problem. Her parents drove her from their home in a suburb of Nashville, about 20 minutes north. The memory of this day remains vivid in Sue Ellen's mind. Into the dorm she walked, with her suitcase and her parents at her side. At the welcome desk, she gave them her name and was then given her assigned room. She was to have a roommate. Oh, how excited she was about that. To have someone to live with and have fun with was wonderful news. She hugged her parents goodbye in the lobby since she didn't want to look like a baby and have them going to her room with her and up the stairs she bounded. The room was a little tiny thing with two twin beds, one sink, one dresser, and two small closets. Sue Ellen unpacked her few belongings and then sat down on the bed to wait for the arrival of her new roommate and what she hoped to be her new best friend. She bounced on the springs of the little bed as she tried to hold in her excitement when in walked the most bedraggled, pitiful little young lady she had ever seen. (laughs) The girl was crying as she walked into the room with her parents, red nose, red eyes and all. When her parents finally drugged themselves away from the girl, she remained on her bed tearfully reading her Bible. Sue Ellen tried to introduce herself and say a few words of comfort to the young lady, but to no avail. The girl would not utter a word, just continued to sit there with her occasional tear running down her cheek, sniffling and reading her Bible. Sue Ellen finally gave up and left the room dejectedly she went downstairs to the main room where the nurse and instructors were throwing a get acquainted party. Sue Ellen walked over to the punch bowl picking up a pretty little glass of pink colored punch and as she raised the glass to her lips she saw a beautiful young girl with dark hair walk in the room. Unbeknownst to Sue Ellen, this girl named Edwina would become a lifelong friend. Edwina had a spark in her eyes that was infectious. Sue Ellen was drawn to her, I'm sure because they were to be bosom buddies. Edwina's great-grandmother was full-blooded Sioux Indian, which gave Edwina the dark hair, strong cheekbones, and an elegant stance. Sue Ellen and Edwina began introductions, and soon they found out that they both had something in common. Just like Sue Ellen, Edwina had a down-in-the-dumps roommate, too. The next thing they both found they had in common was that they both came here not only to become a nurse, but to have fun! How in the world were they to have fun with dowdy roommates holding them back? That solved it. Off they went to the head matron and swapped roommates. How exciting it was that evening when they ran back upstairs to their new shared room to try on their brand new nursing uniforms. The first six months of nursing school, they were called probies and had to wear blue and white pinstriped uniforms with a white apron and white cuffs. The girls giggled and laughed as they took the measuring tape to get the length of the hem just the right length from the floor. They knew that every day when they walked out of the door of the dormitory, they had to sign out with the house mother who would give them an inspection. She would send them marching back upstairs if their uniform was not perfectly matching the measurements. To get the dress just right, they would tuck the dress in and pin it in place in several places with pins. Now, Sue Ellen was disappointed to find out that there would be no nurse's cap until they made it past the first six months. Little did she know, many of her classmates would drop out during that rigorous first six months, thus the reason why there were no nurse's caps yet. Edwina showed Sue Ellen a way to wear her hair up in a very fashionable way to keep it off her collar since the rule was no hair can be below the collar. The girls went to bed that night in excitement. The syllabus looked taxing, but Sue Ellen and Edwina were up for the challenge. The very next day started bright and early and off to the races they went, spending that day and the next six months immersed in classes taught by different doctors, nurses, and professors some from the University of Tennessee Extension office, and some employees from the hospital. The classes consisted of anatomy and physiology, sociology, chemistry, psychology, and such. All these classes every day, plus they were assigned to rotating 8-12 to hour shifts every day at the hospital. They might work an 8-hour night shift and then head straight to the morning psychology class before they could go get a little sleep. It was a rigorous schedule. One day, their psychology teacher was lecturing on hypnotism. He called on Edwina. Edwina was a brave girl walking nonchalantly up to the lecture stage while Sue Ellen looked on with a little trepidation. The teacher had Edwina sit on a stool and began to talk to Edwina, setting her into a trance. He then began to paint an imaginary scenario The crazy thing was Edwina looked like she was really seeing what the man described. The scenario went like this. Edwina was sitting in a pharmacy at the soda fountain with a cream soda. A man came in and sat down on the stool next to her and made a pass at her. Every girl sitting in the auditorium gasped as they saw Edwina's sharp eyes look directly next to her, just like she was really looking at the imagined, rude stranger, as if he was really sitting there right next to her. Then the teacher took a turn and brought the conversation to animals. Edwina started talking about her little childhood dog. Oh my, everybody listened with bated breath as Edwina described watching her beloved pet get run over in the street. It was making Edwina distressed, so the teacher quickly brought her out of the trance. She blinked and acted like she had just woken up. She smiled and walked easily back to her seat. Sue Ellen tried to ask her about the dog, but Edwina just looked confused, saying she didn't remember any of what was said when she was hypnotized. That night, Edwina woke up from a deep sleep in a terror, crying and crying, completely hysterical about her poor little doggie. Sue Ellen had to run downstairs and recruit the house mother's help to get Edwina calmed down. There was so much hard work every day, and one day the girls were taking a break from studying to go downstairs to the basement that housed the dining room. There was a Coke machine up against the wall. This was before the days of the modern vending machine. This Coke machine had bottles, real glass bottles on a rack that would only dispense one Coke at a time when the money was deposited, but this time the door to the Coke machine was open. The girls hit the jackpot. They ran back upstairs and grabbed their empty suitcases, running downstairs as fast and quietly as they could before someone else found the prize. Then they stuffed the suitcases full of those Coke bottles, dragged them back upstairs, trying to keep the bottles from clinking loudly together. They huffed and puffed as they sat down on the floor of their little room with their stolen goods, smiling with pleasure, thinking about being able to have a sweet drink whenever they wanted. Then Edwina looked at Sue Ellen. Sue Ellen looked at Edwina, and they sighed in unison. (sighs) We have to put them back. Sweet, honest girls who were the first to line up for fun, but not for thievery, especially not that particular day, (laughs) because it was Sunday, and they had just been to church that morning and were feeling pretty guilty. With guilt hanging over their heads, they drug their haul back, downstairs, and refilled the Coke machine. By the time they made it back to their room, they had wasted a good hour of study time. Not worth it. Later that evening, when they went downstairs for supper, guess what they found? Yeah, someone else had done the dishonest thing and taken all the Cokes. (laughs) During those first six months, the probies did simple things such as taking temperatures, giving baths, and monitoring and recording things like intake and output, otherwise known as eyes and nose. They were in charge of the eyes and nose because the probies were assigned to bedpan duty. (laughs) Sue Ellen's first bedpan full of mm, poo, not just a little poo, but a big, huge poo. Maybe I should be more professional. It was a very large bowel movement. Sue Ellen took the bedpan to the dirty utility room that had a bedpan hopper that would spray water into it and rinse it out while at the same time flushing the poop away. There she was looking at the measuring container, wondering how was she to measure this BM? Normally with the urine, you would pour it into the measuring container and record the amount in cc's. But she was in a quandary. You can't pour a pile of poop into a measuring container. Well, Sue Ellen was not about to fail this part of her clinical, so she took a tongue depressor and started to scoop the poop from the bedpan and stuff it into the measuring container. Ew, the smell was awful, and she was doing quite well with that. But once she started to scoop and stuff, It was all over. Her eyes started to water. She gulped, but it made it worse. She tried to breathe through her mouth so as not to smell it, but then she could taste it. Sue Ellen gagged and scooped, stuffed poo, and gagged some more. But she was determined to finish her job because how else was she supposed to measure poop? Then the senior nurse came in and almost screamed, Oh, MG, what in the world are you doing? Sue Ellen gagged a little as she told the nurse she was measuring the BM for the I's and O's. <laughs> the nurse chuckled as she explained to Sue Ellen that she was to just chart that it was small, medium, or a large BM and get rid of the nastiness. Sue Ellen was mortified. But you live and learn, and Sue Ellen learned. She finished her six months as probie and was so proud during her capping ceremony. So many of her fellow students had already dropped out or flunked out, and there she stood as her instructors dimmed the lights, said a prayer to bless the new nurses, lit her lamp that she held in the spirit of Florence Nightingale, and bent reverently as her starched nurse's cap was placed on her head. The very next day, Sue Ellen pranced into that hospital sporting her new cap feeling like she was a movie star. Just like in the movies with her starched nurse's uniform and her little cap on her head, her little white-heeled nursing shoes clicking smartly on the tiled floors. As soon as she walked onto the medical floor she was designated to for that shift, the head nurse, Ms. Freeberg, said, Sue Ellen, I need you to take the patient from Ward 3 that has died last night to the morgue. Do you think you can handle that? Sue Ellen gulped a little. She had never been to the morgue before, but you don't tell Ms. Freeberg that. You just pretend you know what you're doing and learn in the process. Sue Ellen obviously learned the same thing I did very early on. You put a pretend face on, and then you fake it till you make it. Although Ms. Freeberg must have seen Sue Ellen hesitate slightly because she said with a sigh, I'll send John with you. Now, John was an orderly and apparently not the brightest of the bunch either, but he had some extra muscle that Sue Ellen needed. John brought a gurney and the two of them went through the swinging doors into the ward on the third floor. Then the struggle began and boy was that struggle real. The patient that died had been a very large patient and the gurneys in those days were even smaller than they are now and very tipsy when you get a heavy patient on them. The ward had six patient beds in them. Did those patients lay there and watch the show unfold? I mean, there weren't TVs in the ward, so I'm sure you'd get pretty bored laying in bed all day. <laughs> Sue Ellen and John were sweating by the time they got that patient transferred to the gurney, and now the next hurdle was getting the gurney to the morgue. Sue Ellen knew that the morgue was on the third floor, and they were already on the third floor. John said that they had to go to the switchboard on the first floor to get the keys to the morgue, but instead of leaving John to watch over the full gurney, they pushed that gurney, dead patient and all, downstairs in the elevator, around to the main entrance where the switchboard was. Sue Ellen felt just like a movie star, dramatically pushing the obviously dead patient down the hall. She kept her very best serious, yet sad face on. It was an Emmy-worthy performance. That is until they were riding the elevator back up to the third floor, and Ms. Freeberg, head matron of nursing school, was standing in the elevator waiting for her, wearing her You screwed up Miss Demumbrium face. As soon as those elevator doors closed shut with a ding, Miss Freeberg cleared her throat. <clears> throat> we do not Advertise our deaths around here, Miss Demumbrium. The movie scene was over. Sue Ellen demurely exited the elevator. She fought off tears as she about killed herself trying to get that deceased patient into one of the little slabs in the wall of the morgue. Knowing she messed up and then reprimanded on her first day after her capping ceremony, she could barely hold it together. All the stress and fatigue from the last six months caught up to her that day. As soon as she got out of the elevator, she went straight to a phone and called her mother. Bawling on the phone, she told her mother the story of her first visit to the morgue. To her surprise, her mother started laughing. Laughing so hard you could literally hear the tears of laughter fall from her mother's eyes over the phone line. Her mother composed herself, and then she told Sue Ellen what to do. Sue Ellen, you just need to take a little time for yourself. Go take the bus into the city and get a soda or something. So that's what she did. She finished her shift, then hopped onto the city bus and let her mind drift away, away from the hospital, away from the sick, and away from Miss Freeberg. From that day on, Sue Ellen remembered how much better she felt after following the advice of her mother. She never went out drinking and partying, but she did make a point to thoroughly enjoy every bit of time off she had. When one of the girls would go away for the weekend, they'd play jokes like swap around her dresser drawers. When they all got in trouble for something one of the girls, Donna, did, they threw her into a laundry bag after she had gotten out of the shower and drug her out onto the fire escape in that bag in the dead of winter. She had two days a week off, which was an improvement from when her aunt went to nursing school at Nashville General. In those days, her aunt only got one day off. In those three years, Sue Ellen was exposed to every situation and every form of nursing. She did her rotation through the maternity ward where she was left one night frantically trying to wake up the doctor when the baby was ready to deliver. The doctor was asleep on a stretcher in the hallway and Sue Ellen was shaking him, Dr. Winners, please wake up, please wake up, the baby's coming. Dr. Winners just kept on sleeping, so Sue Ellen ran back into the room and caught the baby. She didn't realize how slippery a newborn baby was and held it tight against her body thinking to herself i can't let it drop on the floor when in dr winters walked well my dear it looks like you are doing a fine job here go ahead and cut the cord and with that he left sue ellen to finish the delivery all by herself Nashville General had a busy ER full of every imaginable type of scenario. They had a busy surgery department where Sue Ellen learned to scrub in and pass the instruments to the doctor. She learned to sterilize everything, including gloves, and make up all the packs of instruments to be sterilized in the big autoclaves. You name it and she did it all in those three years. All of this exposure to life and everything it entails, starting when she was just 17 years old. Sue Ellen saw and dealt with more than most people see in a lifetime by the time she was just 20 and proudly walked across the stage to receive her diploma. She continued on with her nursing career at Nashville General for another 30 years before she started doing some private duty nursing. Her very last patient was a sweet little Hispanic girl who had a heart transplant and needed 24-7 nursing care since she was still on a ventilator. One day she got a call that her husband was in the hospital because he had been in a car accident and as she was on her way to his bedside, she received a phone call that the little girl had passed away. It broke her heart. That event, plus the fact that her husband was not doing well, was what made Sue Ellen decide it was time to retire from nursing. Now mind you, retirement didn't really slow her down. It just gave her more time to enjoy herself. She is the president of the Historical Society for Timothy Demumbrium and has learned during COVID how to utilize Zoom and FaceTime for society meetings. She remained faithful friends with Edwina until Edwina's death two years ago. Nursing was not just a job, but an identity for Sue Ellen. She embraced the true spirit of Florence Nightingale. Compassion, empathy, safety, and most of all, heart. Taking on the responsibility of life. Like I said in the beginning, every one of us in our lifetime will encounter a nurse. The education might not nearly be as rigorous as Sue Ellen's, but it is still quite an ordeal. Now, mind you, I know, I know you may have an encounter with a nurse that did not embody the kind of nurse Sue Ellen was, but you still will find them. They are still out there. Remember, they are still there for you in your most vulnerable times. They are there worrying over your lab results, your test results, your vital signs, your medications, the list could go on. They are there losing sleep over you, going without lunch and breaks for you. They are there notifying the doctor about you when something just doesn't feel right but they can't quite put their finger on it. Those wonderful Florence Nightingales that still do exist. I sure hope you've enjoyed this Storystone episode. I so enjoyed hearing of Sue Ellen's experience in nursing school since I remember listening to my grandma Hersher talk a little about hers. It sounds very similar, but I never knew too much from my grandma since she wasn't a storyteller like Sue Ellen is. Go have a visit to my website and see a picture of Sue Ellen as a nurse. I can't wait to share some more stories from her vast collection. One last thing to challenge you with. If one of you would like to write a story for Storystone instead of me write it for you, please let me know. I'd love to have two episodes a month, but I just don't have time in my busy schedule to write, edit, and produce more than one. But. I would be very happy to narrate and produce an episode you write for Storystone. Of course, I'd add my own intro and exit to it. So come on, fellow writers, message me so we can collaborate. Until next time, dear listeners.